Hello, welcome. You're listening to Seasons 1 of Narcolepsy Navigators, brought to you by Naps for Life Narcolepsy. Narcolepsy Navigators is a podcast for raising awareness of this fascinating illness through a deep dive into the lives and individuals living with narcolepsy and idiopathic hypersomnia. I am Kerli Boga, the founder of Naps for Life Narcolepsy, and welcome to our stories. Today we are going to talk to Liz from the UK and the topic is travel. We will discuss the good, the bad and everything in between. Hello, so welcome Liz. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. So please um, tell us, introduce yourself and also tell us when were you diagnosed how long did it take for you to get diagnosed okay so um i'm liz i'm 28 and i'm from bristol but living in london at the moment and i was diagnosed when i was 18 years old after four years of experiencing symptoms i was actually diagnosed the week before i went to uni so that was interesting and yeah given medication literally that week and off I went to Manchester University yeah so that was a that was very very um, interesting experience (laughs) okay what do you do for a living so um, I work as a speech and language therapist and I work with young people who have communication needs in schools at the moment and moving into the stammering world soon cool and uh, how do you find your narcolepsy affects you at work Ooh, that's a good question. Well, so first of all, I take two medications to keep me awake. I take sodium oxalate at night to help me sleep. And then I take, I've just started Wakex or Pitolescent, if that's how you say it, in the day. And so that helps me get through the majority of the day, but I also have to have a nap at lunchtime. Yeah, so I've got a yoga mat that I sleep on in a, a small office at lunchtime just for like 20-30 minutes and usually that gets me through the rest of the day oh that's good yeah and then sometimes I might have a little nap after lunch, uh, dinner as well yeah that's good so Liz let's talk about travel have you been traveling lately I have so I recently took a career break I went away for so I had a five-month career break and I traveled for three months um yeah which was really really cool but there were some obstacles along the way with going on the, the travels, um, particularly because I take sodium oxalate, which is a control drug. So um, it was actually really tricky trying to work out which countries I could take that in for longer periods. Because I didn't know this when I started the medication. A lot of countries only let you take in a small amount of controlled drugs. So either sort of seven days worth, two weeks worth or up to a month at the maximum. Um, which is so tricky when you want to travel for sort of three months backpacking. Oh, backpacking, I see. Yeah. Yes, because they don't want you to think that you could be selling. Yeah. If you if you take three months of controlled drugs, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a druggie right there. <laughs> yeah, you're going to end up in prison somewhere, <laughs> which is not my plan. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've actually just written um, a little article for Narcolepsy UK about my experiences of it because mm-hmm. I just wanted to let other people know how, tricky it was to actually plan when I really had no idea about that at all so did it mean that some of the countries on your list you couldn't go to yeah so I couldn't go to Thailand because in the guidance online it said you can't take GHB in in any form and I could not get a clear answer from anyone like doctors or you know online whether 
GHB was exactly the same as sodium oxabate and whether that would count or not. So yeah, I couldn't go there, which was a shame. Um, so you couldn't take it into Thailand at all? That's what it says. I mean, it doesn't say sodium oxabate. It says GHB, which obviously is an illegal drug. But when I checked with a pharmacist, they said it's the same chemical compound. Yes. And so I didn't know whether it would count. Um, This is very disappointing to me because Thailand's on my list of places to visit. Yeah, I know. It was crushing. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, I have a feeling that if you turned up with sodium oxabate, they would see it as a different medication. Like, they wouldn't see it as GHB necessarily because it doesn't say GHB on the label, right? No. But I didn't want to risk that. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. Because after you paid your ticket and everything, exactly. imagine you turn up and then they confiscate the stuff. Right? Yeah, exactly. And the worst thing is that I actually booked all my flights to Southeast Asia and the different countries. And then after I booked my flights, I found out about the medication. Oh, no. Not the best. Um, so I had to do some rearranging. But in the end, after a lot of Googling Mm -hmm. and actually going to the embassies of different countries. Oh, my um, God. Well, in the UK, in London, which wasn't very helpful. They would just say, um, actually, for Vietnam, they just said in the embassy, they were like, oh, well, just try and take the medication in, in in the doses that you need, the higher quantities you need, and see if they let you in at the border. (laughs) I was like, great. (laughs) Thanks for that. That's really reassuring. Wow. Um, and then if they say, no, you can't come in without it, then they take away the drugs. Exactly. Then how do you survive the rest of the trip? Exactly. Sleeping all the time mm-hmm. in a country by yourself. Did you travel alone? Um, yeah, so I did a bit of travelling by myself, but also group tours. Oh, okay. Yeah, and my partner came out as well for some of it. Oh, that's nice. Which was nice, yeah. So did you use any special assistance when you were travelling? Ooh, I didn't, but I wish I did because I actually did have a complicated situation in one of the airports. It was when I was coming back from Vietnam and I think it was Vietnam. I wanted to skip the queue for check-in because I was so tired. I was like, you know what? I just want to get through this queue that's taking forever. Um, And I showed them my medical letter to say I have narcolepsy and said, "Um, can I skip the queue? I've got this medical condition. And they were like, okay, let's, I'll look at your letter and let you know. They took about 20 minutes reading this letter. And I was like, why is it taking so long? And they looked really concerned. So I went up to them and said, what's the hold up? And they were like, oh, you know, we've had a look at your letter. I think they were Google translating it. Oh. And so it's never great, is it, with medical stuff? And I think they then Google translated cataplexy uh-huh. and it come up with like paralysis yeah. because they were then saying to me, we don't know if you're even safe to get on the flight because you have this condition like, and it causes this effect. And I was trying to explain to them like, no, it's perfectly safe for me to get on the flight. Like, <laughs> how did I get here in the first yeah, place? Yeah, exactly. Like I've been traveling by myself. Like I can, you know, have a job and all of this. But obviously there was a language barrier there. And in the end, I just, I actually, because I was so tired, I just started crying and was like, please, can I have my letter back? I'll like, I'll just wait in the queue. It's oh, fine. No. Um, and then they were like, you know what? It's fine. Just skip the queue. Just go through. So yeah, oh. that was, but yeah, I've also had some good moments, not just yeah. stressful. <laughs> That's why I always encourage people to take special assistance. Mm. When I travel, I always take the special assistance because you never miss your flight mm-hmm. because they have to 
take care of you. You go in, you check in special assistants. Yeah. They put you in a wheelchair. They wheel. Oh really? Yes. That sounds great. They wheel you up. You can fall asleep. <laughs> nice. They wheel you up. They leave you. They come back. Someone else wheels you into the plane. Yeah. They help you with your bags up the um stairs. That does sound good. You sit down. And it doesn't matter whether you fall asleep, you can't miss your flight when you come off the plane. I remember mm-hmm. traveling without special assistance. Yeah. You're being in like a big airport like JFK, mm. just to walk from JFK if you were healthy, fit adult yeah. is tiring. Yeah. When your catapexy starts kicking in mm-hmm. and you start looking like you're drunk, there's one mm. p- type of people that they don't have sympathy for in the airport, yeah. and that's drunk people. Yeah. So no one's going to be sympathising with you if you start looking a bit drunk or looking a bit odd. They're not mm. going to think, oh, this person's unwell. They're going to be like, why have you been drinking so early? You know, yeah. you're not supposed to drink before you get on a flight, this type of thing. Classic drunk British person yeah, abroad. <laughs> abroad, yeah. They're not going to have sympathy for you. And so I find using special assistance it's a free service mm-hmm. you don't ever have to worry about missing your flight yeah this is their responsibility to make sure that you get on the flight and you don't miss it yeah and they carry your luggage as well which that is wonderful sound good. maybe i should do that i feel like <clears throat> as someone with a health condition i often have this like annoying pride where i feel like i can't accept help because i have to prove that i can do it which actually is just detrimental to myself a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so I really need to be more open to actually like accepting help and being open about my condition with, you know, not just like the really close people in my life. Yeah. That's a work in progress, I think. When you do have an illness and it takes away some of your like I would say rights, but it's like autonomy. Or yes, like yes, yes. It takes away your autonomy and independence. It means that you feel like cheated, mm. and so if I think it gives you sort of almost like an extra zeal to like feel that you need to be prideful or you need mm-hmm. to like do things on your own or whatever, yeah. almost like to prove to yourself that you can do it. Yeah, and so then it is more difficult to ask for help because you're always like in your mind, no, I can do it. I can do mm-hmm. it. I can do it. Yeah. Definitely. and I think there's a, th- that can be very helpful in some areas but then I think in, in other areas you you might be surprised that a little bit of help can go a long way mm. and I think in traveling it really helps because then you when you get to your destination you're not as like exhausted and stuff because yeah. I find usually when you travel and this happens to people I think even who do not have narcolepsy traveling mm-hmm. is uh, something that does take a lot of energy yeah and when you get to the next destination it might take a day or so to um to recover to you might be jet lagged or things mm-hmm. like that and to like your body acclimatize into the new environment and I think if you add that to being absolutely exhausted all the time and then not having had any help to travel there then you're just like so like oh my gosh like you just want to sleep for two days to recover but at least if you get some help part of the way when you get there you're not so like completely beat Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a good idea i'll definitely look into that next time and you're right and the thing with holidays is obviously if you travel further abroad um when you get there you're so tired that the first couple of days are just recovering anyway yeah yeah. which was why it was quite nice to have a longer term trip because i could like fully acclimatize and then you didn't feel like your holiday was wasted yeah not not saying that people feel like the holiday is wasted but you've got more time yes as someone with narcolepsy if you're traveling somewhere say you went for 10 days yeah and if you took two days to to acclimatize Mm -hmm. you've already missed two days of your holiday yeah 
but if you were going for a longer period of time yeah. that really helps and you don't feel like you've missed out yeah definitely and yeah so it was it was a really amazing experience actually and I'm so glad I did it because I had no idea how it would work for someone like me who has narcolepsy but actually the first thing I did was so I joined a group tour in Vietnam and Cambodia it was for 18 to 30 year olds it was weird because I was actually one of the oldest <laughs> which I wasn't <laughs> expecting uh, but it was a really good group of people and it was nice how it was all set up because you are traveling around quite a lot by bus so there was loads of opportunities to nap and I wasn't the only one napping which was so nice like everyone was falling asleep all the time and actually a lot of people in the group were really chilled and you know they would just take time out to rest and that made me feel Uh, more confident in doing that myself yeah instead of feeling like I had to push myself all the time to like see everything Mm -hmm. um which actually isn't helpful because then you burn out yes and and you're not enjoying it Yeah. yeah exactly um that was nice and I could really take it at my own pace there were a few early morning starts though oh that would have been difficult yeah around sort of like 5 a.m oh. how did you manage that with the with the sodium oxalate mm. did that mean you had to take one dose instead of two no so so i think there was one time actually we had to get up at 4 a.m to go and see temples uh-huh. before it got really busy and I actually just went to bed so early i think i oh. went to bed at like 8 p.m so i could get a about six seven hours sleep okay um and that meant that when i woke up i did feel groggy but it wasn't in an unsafe way okay yeah i could still get up and move around and like have conversation but then you know it did mean i was exhausted by about 4 p.m yeah (laughs) that was fine i could just go back to the hotel and chill out yeah but you didn't you didn't get to miss the temple that's good yeah yeah and i think the nice thing about a tour as well is you can opt in and out of activities oh okay so if there are things that you don't want to do or you feel too tired to do you can just say actually like i'm gonna chill back at the hotel or just have some alone time and i'll see you guys later okay oh that's really helpful Yeah. yeah that's good so where else did you go apart from vietnam so um yeah the tour was vietnam and cambodia and Mm. then i went to indonesia for a month oh wow my partner came along uh with with me for that one which was really nice oh that sounds nice and any any um trouble there with the medication or anything no so indonesia and japan which are the last two places i went to they let you take in as much as you need for your trip oh that's really nice (laughs) but for your whole trip so not just where you are in that how long you are in that country but also for the places you're going to afterwards oh wow yeah oh so those are good places so anyone who has narcolepsy mm-hmm. indonesia and japan those are the places to visit yeah <laughs> and obviously japan is known to be a very efficient and organized uh, country mm-hmm. um so i just had to fill in a form online and i think they got back to me within a couple of days oh, wow. to say like yeah we've approved your medication you just need to print this form bring it along with you wow um so that all went like pretty smoothly which was great oh that's good yeah really nice um and when i was in indonesia so i was traveling with my partner which was really nice to have someone to like sit with me while i nap in different places (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you don't look odd yeah (laughs) because that's always been my thing when i was traveling like you always sort of like conscious of your bags and your Mm -hmm. luggage and everything like that um i remember when i was in san francisco airport so anyone listening 
it has a very good library, <laughs> has amazing sleeping spots all over the library, <laughs> undisturbed, really big chairs. You can put one chair for your feet, one chair for your body. It's very comfortable. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. I think that's the tricky thing about going away, traveling by yourself, is working out the nap situation. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something that I was really apprehensive about. Do you have any like tips on how you manage that when you're out and about? I'm always sort of looking for a place that's really safe. Like in the airport, I find what's good is that other people are tired as well. So I look for places where other people are also napping. Yeah. So that seems more safe because everyone's sort of sleeping mm-hmm. in this sort of area. So the likelihood that someone would go over and disturb a whole group of people sleeping seems less than if you were just like on your own yeah so i try to like sleep sleep close to like groups of a group people. nap yeah so a group <laughs> of people and otherwise a closed space that seems quite safe like for instance the like when i found the library mm. like you know a place like that yeah yeah definitely and i think so when i was in indonesia um obviously it's hot weather over there most of the time okay so that makes narcolepsy worse it does but it made it easier to find places to nap oh because i could just go to a park or i could nap on the beach oh yes Um, whereas i find it really tricky in cold places you know like uk in the winter yes because if you go out for a whole day like where do you nap yes that's so true yeah it does work in the summer because you can go to the park and Mm -hmm. lie down and everyone thinks you're sunbathing they can have a great snooze (laughs) (laughs) exactly put your sunglasses on yeah exactly the one has the the wiser (laughs) yeah that's true it is difficult in the winter there Mm -hmm. isn't safe places to nap Mm mm-hmm yeah there isn't safe places to nap and i don't love napping in public it's something that i used to be really open with it and Uh fine about it and as i've gotten older i've actually become like more awkward about napping in public um maybe it's the vulnerability yeah i think it is it's definitely something i'm more aware of and being in london you know you don't want to be necessarily like napping in a starbucks with your bag next to you Mm -hmm. you know because you don't know what will happen but yeah it was great when i was away because i did feel safe in most places and it was warm so it was so easy to just like find parks to nap in Mm. even in japan as well um and obviously they have the bullet trains there so that was great what's the bullet train it's a super fast train that goes across the country um yeah it's it's amazing to be on i don't know how fast it goes it might be something like 200 miles an hour yeah it's amazing and we went on that a fair few times and that was a great place to have a nap because the chairs are so comfy as well (sighs) it was it was a luxurious nap for sure (laughs) um yeah that's really good did you find in japan that did you see a lot of people that were sleeping in japan I actually was looking out for this because I've heard that in Japan there is a high percentage of people with narcolepsy. Yes. I can't remember where or when I heard that fact. Yeah, it's um, true. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I definitely saw people sleeping on trains a fair amount. Hmm. Um, but that, I mean, you see that anywhere pretty much. Yeah. But there were, yeah, I definitely saw a lot of heads rolling, you know, falling asleep in various places, mainly public transport. I've talked to um, one of the, a lady that lives in Japan that has narcolepsy mm. and she was saying that that's why it was really difficult to get diagnosed 
because so many people are sleeping there mm-hmm. because they work so hard so yeah so then when they if you say to someone you're tired mm-hmm. they say to you yeah good and you say why is it because you're meant to be tired you're tired because you're working hard to be successful that is why you're tired so if you're not tired you're not working hard enough Mm. so you don't really want to be successful so if you're tired and you're sleeping yeah that's a good sign because it means that you're working so hard at your job yeah you're going to be so successful this is why you're sleeping wow that's a very different way of looking at it yeah yeah and i can see why that would make it really difficult to get a diagnosis and it's already hard to get a diagnosis in the uk where the culture is not necessarily like grind culture to that extent yeah 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 that's tricky but it it was so interesting in japan just culturally because you know the language is so different and it's just it feels like a whole world away from the uk Mm. you know it's just like totally different but that was great i love being immersed in the culture and traveling around i did a group tour there as well actually which was a bit more full-on and that was quite tiring but as i said earlier i did skip quite a few of the activities Mm. because i was like you know what i'm going to enjoy it more if i feel rested yes and that's more important to me than like seeing another temple even though the temples were beautiful we did see a lot of them so yeah you have narcolepsy type one or type two so I have narcolepsy type 1. Okay, so then you have cataplexy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you push yourself so, so far, mm-hmm. and then you trigger the cataplexy attack and stuff, then mm-hmm. that would have helped like take away from your experience. Yeah. And then even when looking back, maybe you're looking back at the photos and stuff, but you might not even like collectively remember mm-hmm. if you really enjoyed that day yeah. or you know those hours might yeah. be like a blur. Yeah. rather than if you took the rest and then you really enjoyed the the, the next activity because you were fully alert mm-hmm. to enjoy it and um i think i'm quite lucky because my cataplexy isn't very severe oh, okay um it's, it's pretty mild especially with the medications that i'm on mm-hmm. so i only get minor kind of my knees go a bit weak or like my head drops a bit if i'm really really tired mm-hmm. um but it probably happens less than like once a week Something I did find quite hard when I was traveling is, so a friend came with me on the group tour mm-hmm. and she's really, really patient with me and understands, you know, as much as a kind of able-bodied person can understand um, with the health condition. But there were times when she just had so much more energy than me and could go and do all these things. And it was hard in, sometimes to see that and to be the person that has to take that step back. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. But it was definitely still worth going, and I'm so glad I did it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I also had two weeks traveling by myself, which is something oh. I was so proud of. Oh, well done. Thank you. Yeah, it was, It was as I said, like I didn't know whether I'd be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's I've never done that before. So it's a great accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, I was very, very chuffed with myself that I did that. I was in Indonesia for most of those two weeks, and then a few days in Japan by myself. It was actually so much easier than I thought because oh. I could completely create my own schedule. Yes. So some people would get up super early in the hostel and go out for the whole day. And I was like, you know what? I'd love to do that, but that's not how it's going to work for, for me. me. So I just tended to go out maybe a couple hours in the morning, go back to the hostel for lunch, mm-hmm. have a good nap, mm-hmm. then maybe do something <clears throat> sort of later in the afternoon. 
going into the evening like go out for dinner and then obviously have a nice early night and yeah it was really good and I tried to be quite open with the people around me about having okay. narcolepsy um, because sometimes people would invite me out and they'd say like oh do you want to come out for a day trip and do mm. this and I'd have to explain like I do want to come but actually because I have to nap in the middle of the day this is how it would look for me yeah um, so maybe I could go and find a park to nap in and meet you later or um, like just join for half the day for mm -hmm. example and they were receptive yeah for the most part people I think you know they didn't really understand it but they were open to it mm -hmm. and they would sometimes ask questions which I find helpful when people are like oh I don't know about that can you tell me more yes instead of making assumptions yeah or, or pretending like they know and the, yeah yeah there was only one instance that I didn't really like where I was um I went out for dinner with everyone and I literally just told one of the people there that I had narcolepsy because mm -hmm. I'd spent the day with them and when we were at the dinner, they were like, oh, are you falling asleep? And I don't know if they said it as a joke or out of genuine concern, but I was like, no, like I wasn't falling asleep. Maybe I was looking a bit tired mm -hmm. after the meal. You yeah. know, I always get a bit of a food coma afterwards. And I didn't really appreciate that comment, but I don't think it came from a bad place. Yeah, I don't like that comment either. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, are you looking sleepy? No, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I am sleepy because you're boring me, not because yeah. of the narcolepsy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's funny, isn't it, when you tell people about narcolepsy, um, how different people react. Mm -hmm. And I have found, you know, just generally in life, and maybe sometimes when I was traveling, people don't really know what to say. And then sometimes they make annoying comments like, oh, wow, I wish I could nap every day. Yes. I hate that one as well. Yeah, do you get that sometimes? Oh, yes. Oh, if only I could sleep all the time. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. And you want to bite that person's head off and literally say, like, well, you know, I have to take a lot of medication just so I can stay awake and not fall asleep all the time. Yeah, and I'm not sleeping at night. Um, I'm hardly sleeping at night. Mm -hmm. And I'm having insomnia and I'm having vivid dreams and I'm ha having paralysis. No, it's not a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think this is something I've had to say to my friends as well because... Mm. Most of them, well, yeah, all of my friends know that I have narcolepsy. It's something I am quite open with, with that group. And then, particularly when I was younger, sometimes people would make jokes about it. And I don't mind if people make a joke about it, if they, if I think they fully understand what it's like to go through it. Mm -hmm. If they have, like, the best possible understanding that they can have as an able-bodied person. But I don't like people making jokes when I don't think they get it. Mm -hmm. Because then it just feels like you're really undermining or like minimizing my experience of this like hard condition you know yeah um so i've yeah i had to have a few words with friends over the years one that used to really get me at uni was when people would say like oh you should come out and if i said like no i'm tired like i can't come out right now they'd be like oh you're so boring and that used to wind me up yeah, so much just... be like do you know how hard i tried just to like get through day-to-day -day life <laughs> yeah like of course i want to be social who doesn't want to be social who doesn't yeah. want to go out and hang out and have a laugh or have a drink or whatever no that's not true how yeah. does that make me boring mm -hmm. it's difficult as well because naturally i'm an extrovert mm -hmm. but i'm an extrovert with narcolepsy so it's like a different picture you know yeah. i have to have social time for my own well-being 
but then I have to withdraw and have alone time and it's not because I want it it's just because I have to you know I have to let my brain decompress and I have to sleep and relax so I can recharge my batteries more often Mm -hmm. that's a really good way of putting it I so relate to that because I'm also an extrovert. I wrote an article on this for Health Union earlier this year, turning from a social butterfly to a Mm -hmm. hermit. Because, as you're saying, your body needs the social interaction because that's how you survive as as an extrovert. And enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. But then your physical body doesn't want it and needs the rest in order to survive. So you're fighting like Mm this. And... I think I found since COVID becoming more and more into the hermit Mm. than the social butterfly situation. It's very scary because I don't want to be in this hermit situation, but just not having the energy to survive the social situations either. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think COVID had a similar effect on me, just the pandemic in general because I think before that I would really push myself to be as social as possible Mm -hmm. and actually probably to my detriment I would work as much as I could I would go out or have plans most evenings and all weekend Um, and I really don't know how I did that because in a way for me I mean the pandemic and being at home all the time it did lower my threshold of what I could manage Mm -hmm. which isn't ideal but it I felt like it also gave me permission to not do as much yes and I did find that helpful and actually now that things are kind of relatively back to normal I have been doing less day-to-day and been prioritizing staying at home in the evenings Mm -hmm. and just like trying to make myself a nice meal and having days to myself on the weekend Mm -hmm. so even though my threshold for the energy levels is lower I think it has been nice to accept that as well yeah. and give myself that time. Yeah, that permission to to say that's okay. You don't have to go to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I just find it's sort of difficult with keeping friendships. I don't know if you mm-hmm. have this when you always having to say no to stuff mm-hmm. and after a while people don't seem to want to invite you to stuff anymore. Yeah. Or for me it was like with church mm-hmm. and then all the people that I was really close to yeah. when I joined this church, they were all from abroad. So they came here to work and stuff for a couple of years mm-hmm. or whatever. And so they've all gone back to New Zealand, Australia, to Spain, to South America. And so now I'm left with all the people that are left here. And they don't seem to understand it like how the other people understood it. And I'm just, like, fed up of having to explain things to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, like, I just feel, oh, if this was the other group, you know, they would have come to my house and got me or, you know... You know, on the you know, if I didn't make it to church in the afternoon, they would have been like, "Let's go for a walk," mm-hmm. you know, and you know, we would have gone out for a walk or something. You know, yeah. they more effort would have been made, but mm-hmm. it was like no one like really bothers. Like maybe a few people may call me and check on me in the week, whatever. And then if I turn up to church, like they haven't seen me for like four months, like, "Oh, it's so nice to see you," and everything like that. And then that's it. And then then they then they don't see you for two months or whatever they're like okay where have you been well at home it takes over an hour to get to church on the bus and yeah. it's you know that's traveling as well and 
underground takes up a lot of spoons Mm -hmm. it does i love that spoon theory of like and and i find that a really good way to describe it to people and help them understand narcolepsy like actually you have 20 spoons and activities only take you like one spoon but for me i have like what maybe 12 spoons if i'm lucky if it's a good day Mm -hmm. and activities take me like two or three spoons so actually by the time it gets to the evening and it's your birthday party i really want to be there i don't want to be sat at home Mm -hmm. by myself but i have one spoon left and i can either you know travel to your party and sit there and like not say anything because i'm so tired Mm -hmm. or i can make myself dinner and drag myself to bed um but i don't have any spoons left to even like tidy up or you know talk to my friend on the phone Mm -hmm. or interact with my housemates um and it is really hard to constantly advocate for yourself in that way and constantly have to say to your friends like look i love you and i want to see you and i want to be there for you at the really important events in your life like birthday parties or engagement parties but it takes a lot out of you as a person with narcolepsy yeah and i have felt really bad when i've let friends down when i haven't been able to go to their events um and i don't think they do always understand how tricky it is to get yourself to those spaces yes i agree like uh i had a friend two of them they had birthdays and i really wanted to go but then i had to look at how i was going to get to their birthday i didn't really want to take the underground because it drains me and how long was it going to take if i took the bus and when i worked out the how how long it would take or if i took the uber how much it would cost that way or whatever it was just like too expensive to take uber too long to take bus Mm -hmm. and i tried to like get like my sister or someone to see if they could come with me or you know as you know that type of thing and it was just becoming so complicated i was like it's someone's birthday it should be quite easy to do this why is this and, and it should it, be fun yeah as well. and it should i should be stressed about this whole thing yeah. it? and i just got them give some posters to them and i didn't attend mm. but i don't think they know how bad i felt mm-hmm. not attending their birthdays yeah it really like did something to my soul to not go because mm-hmm. i've known these people since i was 11 years old yeah and i really want to attend it was their 40th birthday and i you know it hurt me not to go mm-hmm. but i really had to think about my health yeah definitely and it's important and i had to also think you know getting there is one thing but Mm. then you have to think after the event if you survive getting there and you're okay and you survive the party then getting home yeah oh my gosh Mm -hmm. now you're completely exhausted yeah you need to get back home you need to get back home safe yes that is the worst thing so when going to like parties or even just like meeting a friend in a pub for a meal or something mm-hmm. i can some i can most of the time i can get myself there and i can maybe last an hour or two of conversation mm-hmm. if it's like after work this is on a good day but getting back there is something that happens where my brain is just like you know what you are ac- absolutely exhausted right now and the thought of having to navigate the tube mm-hmm. or city mapper on my phone yes is like so overwhelming that i literally just want to cry yeah I'm like, I, so you really have to take that into account when you're thinking about, it's not just, yeah, getting there, interacting with everyone at this event, it's getting home when your brain is like so... Has shut off, basically. It's like, I Mm -hmm. don't want to do this. I do not want to navigate you to get home. 
this is draining i want to sleep this mm-hmm. is what i want to do yeah and you're forcing me to think and and to pivot no mm-hmm. yeah it's so tricky and, and I, then you fall asleep and then you wake up in a panic because mm-hmm. you don't know where you are and you're trying to get your bearings but please you know please god or please let me not have you know gone past my station yeah five stops and then have to get off the train mm-hmm. walk all the way around to the other platform take another train backwards yeah and then when you're taking the train backwards you're like s- tapping yourself yeah. pinching yourself please stay awake so it doesn't happen again mm-hmm. yeah um one of the things i find as well is you know my friends do like to go out to the pub for a drink my partner likes to have a drink and sometimes if I'm staying at his or he's staying at mine, he's had a few too many drinks. And so not only do I have to get myself home when my brain has shut off, but I also have to get him home. Oh, dear. Uh, yes. I mean, I'm not saying he's like rolling <laughs> on the floor or anything, but he's, you know, in a merry state, not really focusing on like yeah. the bus times and whatnot. And that I find it so hard to keep my cool in those moments yeah. because I'm like, I literally need to be asleep right now. And I've got to travel an hour home because it's London mm-hmm. and everything takes so long. Something I found hard navigating with friendships is not drinking since I've stopped sodium started sodium oxidate. Not so much now, but definitely when I was younger. So I started sodium oxidate when I was twenty three, which obviously for most people is when they're in the prime of their life, going out all the time, <laughs> particularly in London. I did find it really hard not being part of that mm. and getting FOMO when my friends were going out and I would still join in as much as I could but obviously if you're not drinking then your energy levels drop a lot quicker and you have Uh, much lower tolerance for drunk people yes (laughs) um so yeah I could last a couple hours and then it would hit like to be honest even like 10 p.m and I would be like guys I've got to get out of here like you're starting to like repeat the same stories really tired I can't hold conversation anymore and I did feel like it did affect my some of my relationships oh. which was sad because you know I used to love having those like tipsy moments with your friends where you're like dancing or like telling each other like a funny story and mm. really having those bonding moments something I found even harder is navigating my social life with new people with not drinking because you know if a friend has like a new partner or a friend that they bring along to the social situation everyone seems to like fast forward their bonding by drinking together and that just seems to make it so much easier you know it's like a social lubricant it makes conversation easier gives them energy and so having to kind of be fun and energetic and without without having that extra boost yeah without having the boost of the alcohol in terms of energy and just like kind of the social vibrancy it gives you that has been i guess quite tricky and i have to rely on my natural charisma (laughs) (laughs) you know it fluctuates (laughs) oh that's funny no i i don't drink so this hasn't i haven't had this Mm -hmm. the same experience as you but but hearing your story makes me realize maybe that's why my tolerance is so low for hanging out with people who are drinking because maybe that's why I used to get irritated faster <laughs> when <laughs> now it starts to make sense yeah yeah maybe that's why because <laughs> recently I went to a friend's birthday and everyone was just like drinking wine and whatever and I was with these adults and everyone's sitting down eating and they're drinking wine and it's fine one, one drink two 
two glasses they seemed fine then dinner finished and then they went downstairs to cut cake and stuff like that and now some of them were on their like fifth or sixth glass of oh, wine no. and I was just like they're starting to behave very odd <laughs> and I yeah. was just like they should have stopped upstairs when they were on four like I don't know what's happening to them now and then like I danced several couple of songs or whatever and then I just sat down and then I could tell that people might have felt that I was being like antisocial or whatever mm. but I wasn't it's just that I was not on alcohol yeah so I was not on this buzz that they were mm. on and they're like come on dance with us and yeah. I was like okay now just calm yourself like leave me alone I'll sit here when the nice song comes on that I want to dance to I will yeah. get out but I don't need to and by 10 o'clock I was like looking at my watch and I was thinking yeah <laughs> oh, no. I need to go home yeah <laughs> I was like I've got some rocks to take at 11 yeah. o'clock like I need to start heading home but I went with a friend um a neighbor and she she um she left her um she was ready she was also drinking and i thought and she she left her um phone at home we thought that she had left it in the uber oh. so we needed to go back together mm. so i was like i had to wait until she was ready to go oh, no. yeah and so that means that i started to get more and more sort of irritated yeah. by everyone around me yeah and i was just like oh i haven't been around people who drink in a long time it's very interesting to watch the behavior yeah. like unfold <laughs> but i was just like starting to get very sort of like <laughs> yeah i think i've had enough like the dinner was mm-hmm. lovely but yeah this is too much for me now yeah 100 i think it's fair to say drunk people are really annoying <laughs> especially when you're sober um just yeah kind of like they start repeating the same things and like spitting on you when they're talking and you're like you know, i can't deal with this anymore i need an out <laughs> get me home yeah, and what's funny is that sometimes, you know, this is the time when you want your narcolepsy to kick in, yeah. and it doesn't, and you're just like, why does it look on my face that I'm, like, dying to sleep or something? But no, no, it's not showing. It's funny as well, because I think, you know, when people are drinking, I think it does make people uncomfortable if you're not. Um, yes, I think, I did feel that, because mm-hmm. they would ask, they would come up and say, oh, do you want to get a glass of wine? Do you want to get something? I said, no, it's fine. And then, like, if you like I'd say you had said to get something else like a ginger beer or, or whatever and as soon as you'd finished that they'd want to buy you like another one mm-hmm. or because that's what they were doing for themselves that they always yeah. like need to top up or mm-hmm. whatever but it's, it's just not necessary yeah and I, I don't want to make my friends uncomfortable by not drinking I mean most of them know you know I'm a good secret keeper so if anything happens when they're drunk I'm not going to shout about it yeah make them feel bad um but yeah, I think when I've been in other situations with people I don't know as well, it does make them uncomfortable and I don't really understand why, but they're like, you know, oh, like have a drink, go on, like, you know, it'll be fun and, and trying to persuade you. And mm. You don't really want to be a mood killer right there and be like, well, I can't drink because I have a long term health condition and blah, blah, blah. I just, I shut down real quick. I just say, um, I'm on medication. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm on very strong medication, which cannot be mixed with alcohol. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, conversation finished. <laughs> yeah, vibe completely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, I mean, luckily my friends are getting older now, so they drink less anyway, which yeah. is good. Their hangovers <laughs> are getting worse. <laughs> so they're, they're up for more sober activities. That's good. Which is nice. 
Um, I did have a weekend away recently though with friends. It was our ten year anniversary of starting uni. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it went by in a flash. Um, you know, it's funny because my partner asked me before the meeting, uh, not the meeting. <laughs> sounds very formal. Mm. Before the um, get together, the trip away. Yeah, he was like, oh, "Are you looking forward to the weekend away?" And I was like, uh. "I don't know if you ever feel this, but I obviously love my friends and I love going away with them." But it does involve a lot of energy. Yes. So on one hand, I was really excited to see them. On the other hand, I was like, oh God, this is going to absolutely kill me. Because not only do I have to potentially go on a night out, which for me lasts until like midnight maximum, but I have to sim- I have to socialise the entire day as well, mm-hmm. on both days. Um, so, you know, it's always a double-edged sword with things like that. Yeah, and then you have to navigate everybody's personalities and everything yeah yeah it's a i mean luckily my my friendship group are pretty chill in terms of everyone gets on very well there's no drama Mm. um but yeah it's a shame with things like that i find sometimes if i am invited on weekends away um like i've just been invited on a, a work weekend away with a group of friends and you don't want to miss out but also you're like oh do i want to you know make everyone kind of have to slow down their day or like I'm gonna have to nap in the middle of the day and I can't stay out late like so how is that gonna work mm. you know you don't want to be a burden for other people yeah do you ever find that when you're really really tired and you've been on like trips with like that group trip you went with other people that you can get more snappy when you like really need to sleep yeah a hundred percent it's so hard to regulate my emotions when I'm that tired mm-hmm. um I think sometimes the people around me can tell that I'm getting tired before I know myself Mm -hmm. because I start to maybe like get sleepy eyes or um, I'm not really like following the conversation anymore just sort of like staring into the distance Um, but yeah it's definitely harder to maintain my cool when I'm that tired Um, and if someone like says something or like does something that annoys me like usually I would probably let it go Mm -hmm. but in that situation if I'm like ready for a nap and they piss me off I'm just like (laughs) the tiger comes out (laughs) yeah Yeah, I'm the same (laughs) yeah I'm exactly the same And I feel bad if I've snapped at someone mm-hmm. because I've been tired. But the thing is, it's like, I don't think people realise, when you're completely sleep deprived, mm. and then there's nonsense happening around you, or people ask you silly questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that your brain doesn't have filter or whatever. It's just that it says whatever it's feeling. And, yeah. you know, it could be bad. But and most of the time you don't actually remember, like, everything that you said that was horrible. Mm-hmm. But, you know this is why you shouldn't irritate me or say (laughs) stuff to me when I am at the brink of the edge. Yeah, Yeah. I've had to give my partner many warnings that sometimes he can wind me up and it's funny, Mm -hmm. but there are other times when I'm very tired when it's not a good idea to wind me up. Yeah, this is not the time. No, I will not get the joke and it will be blown way out of proportion. Um, And I just, yeah, I hate that feeling where you're just, like, so exhausted that you literally want to, like, cry. Yeah. Um, 
and navigating that in public around people can be very difficult and it's usually a sign for me like get your ass home you need to nap on a bus or like in your bed straight mm-hmm. away yeah yeah definitely just an exit situation needed when i went to cornwall with a ch- on the church trip yeah i had to like take myself away from people so that i wouldn't kill them like because i was just like like the fuse was like real strong like, oh, no. and it was just like so many personalities and all these people that i didn't know on the trip mm-hmm. and so i was just like oh my god like i forgot what it's like to have to navigate so many new people yeah my brain was just like oh no we can just cannot have this mm-hmm. yeah i remember it was something simple like i think someone was like can they can she use my blanket or something and i was like no you can't <laughs> use my blanket because i've used it to to put as extra as a pillow because we we're sleeping like on sleeping bags on top of like a sofa bed yeah and i was like no and she's like oh i'm really cold i said like, no you can't have it and i was thinking what is this why is she asking like keep asking me for it like what's wrong with her like yeah it's just like had to remove myself from the situation after <laughs> yeah. that. i was like gosh like how annoying is this and, yeah. like, and people were around me like looking at me like really strangely like it's just a blanket and i was just like oh you cannot have it i don't care if you're cold like i'm tired right now and i'm not rational <laughs> don't ask me questions yeah <laughs> Yeah, something that, you know, when you go on situ- go to situations like that when you're with a group away or even when I was traveling, I did find it quite tiring to constantly have to advocate for myself. Yeah. So saying to people, you know what, like, this is the condition I have and this is the symptoms, like, so I'm going to have to nap in the middle of the day and I'm going to get a bit tired sometimes. Obviously, it's so important to do because it does make people around you like more aware of what's happening yeah but even having that conversation sometimes takes a lot of energy yeah it does you just wish that they would just know and or you just wouldn't have to have the conversation in the first place yeah yeah i find it um frustrating at work sometimes because we often have new people join the team so there might be like agency staff or locum staff who are really friendly and you know they might invite me for lunch which Mm -hmm. is really nice but I have my routine at work where I have a nap in my lunch break Mm -hmm. because that helps me get through the rest of the day and so it's a fine balance sometimes because I don't like I don't want them to think I'm rude Mm -hmm. and not having lunch with them every day but then they see me walking out the room so they're like well where is she She going going, yeah (laughs) having lunch by herself she doesn't want to have lunch (laughs) with us but she wants to do her own thing fine exactly but then having to say to new people all the time or oh, actually i have you know this health condition and it's some it can make you feel quite vulnerable mm. having to have that conversation with new people all the time did i ever say stuff to you like oh do you want some coffee or do you you know do you want you, you should have a red bull and that will help or stuff like that yeah i've definitely had some unsolicited advice before <laughs> i remember when I was in um, one of my previous jobs and I told someone that I had narcolepsy and they were like, oh, have you tried um, hypnotherapy? And I was like, hmm, no, I haven't tried that one. They were like, what about acupuncture? I was like, right, listen, it's a neurological condition. It's the brain chemicals, okay? I don't think that's going to be changed by a few needles, but if it did, I would have tried it by now. Already, yeah. Yeah, there's been some interesting advice. Um, it's always interesting the advice because I always think, I just always think if this was, if this was the cure or if this was the thing, 
do you not think the pharmaceutical companies was a bottle there to buy now yeah. and be selling it like to the thousands because it would have you know everyone would be cured by narcolepsy by mm-hmm. now they would have done it yeah yeah it's like sorry you're not like the most brainiest person in the world yeah you just finally discovered that coffee is gonna <laughs> solve all our problems <laughs> uh yeah no, it's always yeah fun and games trying to work out who to tell and like how to explain it as well yeah in the clearest way without having to like give too much of yourself away in that moment a friend um from anna from spain she was saying how she changed the spoon theory to using it to describe it as a battery for a mobile phone Mm, i like that and she got she found that people understood it more because they understand like when their batteries are on five percent mm-hmm. and they need to plug it in and the, ur- the urgency <laughs> you know, panic yeah the oh out. my god yeah <laughs> they get it as she goes she explained it to them that way and they were like wow their mind is blown yes <laughs> i've done that before with um i've told people like my brain is like a malfunctioning iphone mm-hmm. you know like the battery's real old it just it turns off randomly it goes from like 99 percent to suddenly like it has one percent and it needs to turn off right away um yeah it's always a, a good way to pitch it with the technology yeah so i tried that for college when i started in september the hairdressing course and it seemed to work yeah it was successful yeah they seem to understand it yeah, yeah. The, especially the teenagers a lot of teenagers mm. so they're like oh yeah i said i said tell them yeah when i wake up at um, you wake up you're at 100% when I wake up at 70% and before when I was on stimulants I would have taken some medication and I would have gone back up to 100 but I don't have stimulants so then I had to have a shower 10% gone mm. and I had breakfast 10% gone mm-hmm. then I was just like I had to take the bus to college 10% gone I was like what and I said then we did class I said like so you, you already gone past 50 already i said yeah i need to nap to top up mm-hmm. otherwise we're going we're going down down, yeah. down by the end of the day i'm going home i'm on five percent you mm-hmm. know what that's like yeah yeah i love that actually i've never really explained the spoon theory as the phone analogy in that much detail but i think that definitely will resonate more with the gen z's yeah they'll get that they'll be like oh god okay the phone battery's dying I think i'm gonna steal that one yeah so liz thank you for talking to us about travel and work um and everything in between and everything in between exactly and um we wish you all the best in your job and um your life thank you yeah and maybe you can come again and, and speak on another topic in the future. Yeah, I'd love to. And also, I just want to say, in case I put anyone off travel um, <laughs> with some of my horror stories, it was actually an amazing experience. And I really recommend looking into travel groups if that's because um, that was an easier option. And also, you can contact the company beforehand and say, like, this is my situation. Do you think it can be accommodated for? Oh, that's good. Um, which is what I did. And they said, like, well, we have a tour bus that you can nap on so that might work but even solo travel you know finding somewhere to go where you feel safe and just going by your own routine it's an amazing sense of freedom so i would really recommend it but also make sure you look into uh, the countries that you can take sodium oxalate to and 
yeah check the uk embassy's websites very good good advice (laughs) thank you liz thanks views and opinions in these stories may not work for everyone if anything you have heard is relatable please see a doctor for advice Thank you for spending time here with us at Narcolepsy Navigators. I hope you learned something new. Please share the podcast with others. You can find us on all platforms. See you next time when we delve into another person's story.